Well, this morning, uh, as I said, is a little bit of a, a different day. We're calling this just MLK Sunday. Uh, and this is a really more than just MLK Sunday that, you know, tomorrow, you know, the kids are all excited because they don't have school. I know at least my kids don't have school and they're all excited about that. Um, but it's one of those times where you, you talk about MLK and all that kind of stuff. But there's other things that are happening this week. I mean, Wednesday is Sanctity of Human Life Day. And that's another day that's celebrated. All this talking about the value of humanity, the value of life. And so this morning, we're going to take some time to look at scripture and to leverage this opportunity. I want to say this. Today is not about worshiping a man, about worshiping Martin Luther King in any way. Today is about taking the message that he shared and shining a light on something that God said first. <laughs> okay? And I, and I think this is going to be really, really good for us. Uh, so this morning, I've got a, a guest who's going to be helping me. Uh, I'm not up here by myself. Uh, there's somebody who's been a part of our church for the last eight months. His name is J.D. Jones. J.D., uh, a friend of mine, I've known him for about three, four years now. I uh, had a chance to interact with him. Just a great guy, loves Jesus, got a great story. Um, but something else that he was a part of for about five years, he served District 196 as a uh, cultural family advocate and working with issues of culture and how we relate to one another. And he's got some, when we talk about this type of stuff, He's clearly the expert. <laughs> when I have a conversation, I'm like, you sounded smart when you said that. I sounded like an idiot. <laughs> but whatever. So I'm going to invite J.D. Can you give it up for J.D. Jones as he comes to the stage? Awesome. J.D., I'm really disappointed that your wife didn't just give you a standing ovation. I told my whole row to behave before I came up. So. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> That's good. J.D., why don't you tell, tell us about yourself. Tell us about your family. Um, well, I am married. My wife is here. We have uh, three kids. got three boys, a six-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old. So I'm just as much referee as father. Um, my, uh, my mother comes here as well. My brothers, um, my younger brothers come here as well when they're in town and when they're able. So, uh, yeah, love this church. You know, it's kind of a family event. It's great. It's great. Yeah, I was, I was actually joking with him before service that... Um, on Christmas Eve, he was here with his brothers who were out of town. And J.D., I don't know if you, uh, if you don't know, J.D., uh, great basketball player, played through college. He does training now of high-end athletes. And he trained up his two younger brothers. One of them is a point guard on the Memphis Grizzlies in the NBA, and the other is a starting point guard for Duke. And so all of them showed up to church on Christmas Eve, sitting in the second row. And I would say that sometimes when I'm preaching, things come to my mind, and I don't say them, but I'm thinking them. And I'm sitting there thinking... If there was a church three-on-three -three tournament right now, <laughs> I would totally take our church. <laughs> I would... But I didn't say it on Christmas Eve, so way to go. <laughs> Kept it to myself until now. No. That's great. <laughs> no, but we are uh, super glad to have JD here uh, to share with us this morning. Uh, today's going to be a little bit different. Obviously, this is a little more of a conversation than it is a sermon. Uh, so sorry, you're not going to walk away with your perfect three points. But I do know that this is going to be something, as we've been preparing for this together, I know this is going to be something that challenges all of us. And we've been praying that the Holy Spirit would reveal some things to our heart. That, that oftentimes in life, we can live with some scales on our eyes. I'm praying that some scales could maybe come off and we could begin to see differently and and walk this thing out a little bit differently, all right? So this morning, whenever we talk about things having to do with culture or even meddle into the world of race, how many know our guards tend to go up a little bit? And we, we tend to be like, oh, oh, I'm a little uncomfortable by that. That's okay. That's normal. So what I'm asking you this morning is that we would say, God, help us have open hearts for a moment to simply hear what you want to say to us. That's it. 
Now, we're not, trying to, we're not pushing anything. We want to just hear, what do you have to say to us, and can we respond that way? And so there's maybe things that you need to think about. Maybe you'll need to process. That's cool. I think that's going to be good for every single one of us. I know it's been good for me, but I know it's going to challenge us. Hey, before we jump into this, I want to just play a quick video for you. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom reign. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the crevaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. When I hear that, it still gets me revved up inside a little bit. <laughs> you know, when you listen to that, it just kind of gets you going a little bit. I get, I get passionate because there's something about the way that he spoke, there's something about that. It just, he would have this ability to inspire this idea and this cause of freedom and equality. He, he championed it in a way uh, that really no one else had in our country up until that point. Uh, but it wasn't just his ability to speak, was it, J.D.? I think there were some other things that inspired people. No, it's, it's hard to imagine that someone could attach their life to the message that we're all free and that we're all equal and that he would face a lot of opposition um, in, in that um, in that endeavor. And it was the way that he responded to hatred that really blew people away in the time by responding in love to hatred is, is really what galvanized his, his movement. And a lot, obviously a lot of people felt like he was, uh, he was speaking on their behalf. Yeah, I think I, I think I wrote it down that he was ferocious in a gentle way. Yeah. Like he was very ferocious about what he was passionate about, but he did it in a way that was loving and his reaction to people was different. Okay, so, so I'm sure if you're like me, you're, like, you're saying, okay, that's great. Now why are we talking about this today, Greg? <laughs> What's the point of this? Here's the, here's the reason why I think we need to talk about this is, is that I think we, we look at speeches that he had and, and this, the way that he, he inspired people, he spoke to this thing and it raised this hope in people's heart. But here's the question, why did what he spoke, why did, why did that inspire people? Why did that challenge people? Here's the reason, because I don't think he was painting a picture that was original to him. I think he was painting a picture of what God's intention for humanity was. Like, he wasn't coming up with this new idea. He was merely hearkening back to what God's intention was, what he had desired for humanity. And, and what I want us to do for a moment, I want, to I want us to turn to Scripture. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. As always, if you ever come on a Sunday, you don't have a Bible, you can always borrow one from the table at the back of the room. If you don't own a Bible, it's our gift to you. We want you to have a Bible. You can take that with you, put your name in it, we, we give that to you, all right? Um, but I just want to read a, a few verses, and, and it's just our tradition around here, nothing sacred about it. Would you just stand with me as we're going to read a few verses together here? Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse number 9. 
This is a picture that we see in heaven, right? It says this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying this, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it guides us in the midst of the darkness. And so we are asking even this morning, as we are looking to learn from you, even in this area, God, I pray you would shine light into our hearts, Father. We pray that in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. You can amen. be seated. Cool. So, so this passage of scripture is honestly one of the most exciting scriptures that you can read. The image that we have, and I believe this is the heartbeat of what Martin Luther King was really getting at, this, this vision of like, this is what humanity should be. Because when you look at this picture of what heaven is supposed to look like someday, what does it look like? It's all nations, it's all tongues, it's all ethnicities, no division, there's no first class section, there's no preferred seating, there's none of those things. Instead, it's all people in a state of humility, in a state of surrender before the throne of God, right? That's the picture that we get. It's totally different than what we see in our world, right? Nobody is there because of their greatness, right? Nobody is there because they're trying to defend their rights. Instead, everyone comes and submits themselves to the throne of God. That's the picture that we get around the throne. And honestly, that's the only way you can get that much diversity in one place in unity, right? There's no way you can have arrogance and have unity amongst a diverse group. You know what that's like. If you got two sides on the opposite sides, they can't come together unless they're both willing to humble themselves and say, okay, I'm willing to approach. And so that's why we're having this conversation this morning because I believe that this is what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. This is how we as the church we're supposed to look like this, right? If we're gonna be the kind of church that God has called us to be, if we're gonna be living out the kingdom of God here in, in Burnsville and in the surrounding communities, if we're gonna live this out, and if we're gonna reach the world that's around us that is growing increasingly diverse in our direct community, then this topic of this diversity and this topic of race isn't something that we can go mute on, okay? We can't. We can't just hope everything works out, right? I don't believe hope is a plan, okay? We have to talk about this. We have to say, okay, God, if this is what you desire for us, then help us. Will you help us? Will you help us even here as your body? Yes, we know that the vision is going to happen someday, but help us to live in your kingdom today. Bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus asked us to pray as followers. Help us. We don't always see it. We don't always understand it, but help us to do this, all right? And so this is why we're talking about this idea. We're saying, God, how can you help us walk out this faith, let this faith, because we can say we want to follow Jesus, all right? Well, if we're going to be followers of Christ, this whole thing of following Jesus has to flesh itself out in every area of our life. Not right? just the areas where it feels comfortable. Yeah, yeah. 
And you know that. Like, there's, yeah. This isn't an area of comfort for a lot of people, right? Yeah. Typically, we, when it comes to race or when it comes to culture as a, as a bigger topic, we tend to stay inside of what we're most comfortable with. right? And just, there's no judgment on that. Just as human beings, we tend to seek out the things that are comfortable and avoid the things that aren't. At my new job, there's a, uh, there's a lot of static electricity, so something as simple as walking on it a couple times causes you to um, get shocked every time you touch something. Right? So just a small little pain changes my behavior when I leave there. Right? It's something simple of every time I go to touch a door now, I have like a, a thought with it. And so just in that same way, when it comes to culture, when it comes to being uncomfortable, we tend to avoid or um, stay away from the places where we're not as comfortable when we seek out the places that make us feel good. Yeah. And so this, this probably wasn't a topic, you know, let's rewind certain amount of years, not sure, in this specific in this area, community. it's possible that you could, you could live an entire life and everybody kind of looked like you. Yeah, I grew up in Apple Valley and it looked a lot different growing up than, than it does now. I remember my third grade teacher still teaches at Greenleaf Elementary School in, in Apple Valley. Um, and so the folks that are staples in the community, people that work, the teachers, uh, people that work at banks, uh, lawyers, things that are staples in the community tend to not change as much as the actual community itself. And so now I believe District 196 is around 35% minorities, which is, it just looks drastically different. Uh, and it's going to continue to move in that direction. Yeah, because the whole city, you know, one of the, one of the reasons I know there's refugees, we tend to be a city that has brought in a lot of refugees. Yeah, the Minneapolis Twin Cities, uh, or the Minneapolis-St. Paul, the Twin Cities area historically is a, a hub and a welcome point for a lot of refugees. Uh, it's part of my story, it's how I got here originally. My biological father came here when um, Civil War broke out in Liberia, and this is one of the main spots that um, a lot of refugee folks ended up landing, and so he came here and met my mom, and that's how I'm here in the cities. Yeah, that's how that's a lot great. of diversity has come here and why it's grown so much so yeah. quickly. Yeah, and I know in the next several decades, it's looking like there won't even be a majority group uh, in the Twin Cities area. I think it's like 2042 or something like that, where there's going to be, uh, there will be no dominant, uh, nothing more than 50% in our city. Statistically, there, Statistically. Won't be, there won't be a dominant race that you can look and view. Correct. Correct. Um, but when it comes to culture, there'll still be a dominant culture that will Absolutely. tend to serve everybody else. Yeah, yeah. And so, so that's it. Our world is changing, right? And so here's what I think is super cool. Because it's very easy, you know, we have different perspectives. Everybody's got a different perspective. That's fine. But what I see happening is that broken and lost people from all around the world are getting brought to the Twin Cities and giving us an opportunity to, to reach with the hope of Jesus. You know, we, get, we send Brooke and Michael over to Egypt to reach Muslims. Guess what? There's huge quantities of Muslims coming here. And, and we have an opportunity to interact the question is, what are we going to do about that? Is that it's not always comfortable. It isn't always easy. Right. And to highlight the fact of how it's not always comfortable and to highlight how we tend to, um, just to reinforce that idea of how we tend to stay within our comfort zone, have a small, uh, small exercise. It's called a learning strategy. Uh, so as a cultural family advocate, it was my job to help our staff and um, staff and students kind of navigate through some of these difficult conversations. And one of the best ways that we would do that is by using learning strategies that made it easier to access some of these truths, right? So when talking about um, privilege or culture or race and dif difficult things, you gotta be intentional of kind of how you get there. And this learning strategy is a good one, something that when you and I talked about, you felt like it'd be a good thing to, to highlight with our church. Yeah, and I'm gonna play the game with you, which means <laughs> we'll see how comfortable we all get when it's done. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So when it comes to being diverse or having diversity in your life, 
unless you're intentional about it, you tend to not have as much as you would like or not have as much as you realize, or you have less than you realize, right? And so this exercise is just something that can simply highlight or point out in your regular day-to-day -day activities, how much diversity do you have in your life? So Greg's gonna be able to kind of show publicly. You all can follow, follow along, kind of keep it to yourself. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna name off different groups of people, different places that you will typically go within your normal routine. And if the people there or person there looks like you, I want you to put a hand up or a finger up on your right hand. Right hand. Kind of, where most, most of us are right-handed, representing comfort. Right, yes. Over here. Um, <laughs> and so if, if people there typically look different than you, then I want you to put a finger up on the left side and then we'll kind of unpack what that looks like. All right, so throughout your life, your pastor, if your pastor looks like you, then you put up a finger on your right side. If it doesn't, it will go on the left side. Sorry, um, I keep you boring. <laughs> For some of you, others of you, I'm super exciting. <laughs> Another one is a typical guest at your home or your friend group, kind of the people that typically frequent and come into your home. They look like you or they look different than you. Um, your coworkers slash clients, so the people you interact with when you go to work. Right. Those, those are the folks that either work with you or, or you intentionally or just kind of have to deal with as clients as they come Hunter's in. Hunter's super white. <laughs> still just put one finger. He still only gets one finger. <laughs> Don't give it to. Clientele at your favorite restaurants. Either the people serving or the other people that go to that restaurant as well. Your doctor and dentist. Teacher or kids' teachers, right? I think you can go either way. Of the, if you grew up in this area, you can both count yours and your kids, um, or you can kind of count, count however you however you decide. Um, I think this one's coach, coach of your kids, coach of the sports that you played growing up, and then the last one kind of hammers it home is your neighbor or neighbors, people that are immediately surrounding you. How many ran out, how many ran out of fingers on your right hand? I did. So typically, typically we have, we have one way or, or one culture that we tend to voluntarily take ourselves to on a regular basis, right? That's from where we decide to live, from where we seek out um, food when we leave our home to the people that we, uh, people that we hang out with, that we do life with, and therefore the people that we invite into our home. And a, like I mentioned in the beginning, when it comes to having diversity or having things outside of your comfort zone, if we're not intentional about it, we tend to have less than we realize or not as much as we would like. Yeah. And so I think the purpose of this exercise isn't to say that this is bad. It isn't necessarily right. bad. It's no just value. to be aware. And so uh, we're going uh, to lean, uh, actually go right to our big so what right here. And uh, if, you, if you got notes and you're, you're writing anything down, you can write this down. Uh, but the big so what for this morning is simply this. We all have a lens. We all have a lens. What do I mean? We all have a way that we view the world, okay? And now, what produces that lens? The way you were raised, who you were around, but the, the people you circle yourself with influence the way that you view the world. For good or for bad, it's just reality. It's just true. And if we don't get to the point, unfortunately, oftentimes we live our lives 
unaware that we have a lens and we just think the way we view things is the way things really are. Yep. And that we can't always say that's the mm -hmm. case. I have, when talking about this point, I have a, like a small little story that illustrates it, right? It's a story of the big fish and the small fish, right? So there's two small fish that are swimming, minding their own business one day, and then out of nowhere, they both at the same time see a really large fish swimming towards them. This fish has got scars. You can tell it's had a hook in its mouth before, and these two fish are nervous. Big fish can tell that these two fish are nervous and just says, how's the water, boys, and swims away. A couple minutes later, one small fish turns to the other one and says, what the heck is water? <laughs> and just highlighted, you could tell the fish that had been either removed from water entirely or had clearly seen different waters could tell and recognize what made the environment that's around him right now different from other environments. Right, but if you've never been out of your water, out of your community, out of your comfort zone, you think that the things around you are just the way things are. And it's harder to recognize what makes it different or what makes, um, what makes somebody else view the current situation differently than you do. Yeah. Yeah. How many of you are photographers? Anybody do photography for fun? Yeah, I know. I know we all have a smartphone, so we can all How many of you have a smartphone? <laughs> there we go. Okay, that's great. Okay, here's the deal. When you get a camera, I know this. I'm not a good photographer, but I know one thing. The most important thing about your camera is your lens. Because it doesn't matter how good your camera is. If you got a bad lens, you ain't getting good pictures, okay? And you can have a junky camera, but as long as you have a good lens, at least they're reasonable pictures, okay? Our lenses actually matter. The, the way we see the world actually really matter. And I know for me, uh, a couple of years ago, I had my lens become visible for the first time, to be honest. I grew up in Chicago. And so, you know, you would say, well, you're, you're diverse. Yeah, go Chicago. Uh, I grew up in Chicago, so there was plen plenty of diversity around me in my life. But, but honestly, if I was to look and to answer these questions when I was younger, uh, probably all of my fingers would have been on my right hand. Because although I, I would encounter people who were different from me, my circle of people who I had real conversation and real community with all looked like I did. And so the result was... Although I would say I, I cared for everybody and I, 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 can, I understand that, yeah, I, I understand how the world works, I really didn't because I didn't take time to understand. I didn't take time to listen to others. And a few years ago, my, my circle changed a little bit and I, I came into a group of, of guys and a, a small group and we started meeting on a weekly basis and that group didn't look like me. Exactly. JD was, JD was one of them and there were several others a part of that group. And as I began talking, we began sharing what would happen to me is on a weekly basis, we would have a conversation of which I thought I knew the right answer because <laughs> I saw the world perfectly. I would, I'd have a conversation and suddenly someone with a totally different upbringing, a totally different experience of life would share something and I would be like, huh, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't see that. Oh, I've heard about it, like I have these ideas of people out there, but now it's a human being in front of me telling me a story. Suddenly it's different. And suddenly for the first time I started saying, wow, my lens isn't as clear as I thought it was. I wasn't seeing the world as accurately as I thought I was because I never forced myself outside of, of the realm of comfortable. I wasn't outside of, of, a, of a, a group of people who thought like I did and would see the world kind of like I do, right? And so I started to have that shaped, and, and what was funny was I was brought into that group because I was the professional pastor, you know, and I was supposed to be the spiritual leader of the group and help point us in the right direction. But if I was to be honest, and those guys can speak differently for themselves, but I know I felt like I got more out of that than anybody else in the group because I felt like for the first time I started seeing things differently and, and a little clearer. And, and the goal here that we have as followers of Christ is that we're supposed to love people, Right? But how many of you know if you don't know a person, it's hard to love them? 
If you can't see through their eyes, then it's hard to love someone, right? You can think you are, but are you actually? Yeah, I was just going to say that when, when you got to that point where you were realizing or examining your own perspectives, it wasn't, it wasn't about a judgment, right? It wasn't about a value system of saying, oh, I'm, I'm not as good of a person as I thought I was. It was just I thought I was at a certain path in my journey, and I guess I'm not as far as I thought I was, right? Or I haven't moved, or I don't have as much experience in this area as I thought I did. And the nice part as a follower of Jesus, the value on it and the value of moving yourself forward has already been decided for us, yeah. right? Of becoming more like Jesus is what we decided when we became a follower of Jesus. And he is someone who loves all people equally and does that perfectly and since we're aspiring to be like him that's why it's worth it or necessary to take a look at our lens to say where are we in reality and then what are some ways that we can try and um, take some steps further down that path so good i love what you just said when you when you decide to follow jesus this isn't an option you know we can say well we'll let other people deal with those issues no 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 no. we're followers of christ we don't get that choice <laughs> like we're called to love people and if we're going to love that means we know this, it, let's step outside of the world of race and culture and those kind of things. Sometimes it's hard to love people who just have weird personalities, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, like, like, we're called to love those people. <laughs> All right? Like, you know what, like, you got the crazy neighbor, you got, like, the person at work or, like, your in-laws. I don't know who you got to love, but it's, it's, like, hard sometimes. And, like, we're called to love them, to care for them, to, to want the best for them, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, but that's, that's also true of people who, who don't look like us. And, and if that's going to be the case, it doesn't just happen on accident. Like, we don't stumble our way into this thing a lot of times. We have to effort our way. You know what it is to effort your way into caring and loving for someone? We have to effort our way into this. You know? And we're, we're talking about interacting with or loving, with some, loving somebody that looks different than you or having that positive interaction with someone that's different than you. That doesn't mean learning all about somebody else, right? It's not entirely about the other person. You can't really learn about somebody by doing a Wikipedia search and seeing what food they eat and what music they listen to or um, in that area, what are things that they typically do. You start this journey by better identifying and defining the culture that represents yourself, right? The definition of a culture is a set of practices and behaviors that identifies one person from another or one group from another is the easiest way to describe it. Lots of different ways we use culture. Um, but a set of practices and beliefs that identifies or separates one group from another. So the more you learn about who you are and what makes you, you, your own experiences, the easier it is to identify what makes somebody different than you. Then you can learn and explore the things that make them who they are, right? And that's how we go about having that positive interaction and getting to know them and loving them is for the person that they are without feeling like they have to adopt the things that we do or the perspectives that we have or the beliefs we have or the norms that we have, we can have our own and fully love somebody else that has theirs that's different than us. That's good. So the, there's a perfect example of this. Um, you have to understand your own culture, otherwise you end up taking it with you unknowingly. Mm -hmm. So in the history of Christendom, uh, we've got this whole issue of missions organizations and missionaries going all around the world, correct? Okay. For centuries, do you know what happened? Western missionaries would take the gospel into dark places around the world and along with it bring Western civilization and Western practices. They didn't just bring the gospel, they brought all the packaging as well. This is why if you go around the world, you'll find churches, Christian churches, in areas that, are, that no other area in, in the 
community do they function as Westerners, but in that area, you'll see them show up to church with a suit on. And like, nobody wears suits in that culture, but they do at the church. Why? Because centuries ago, that's what the Christians came and brought. And they brought this packaging of Christianity it's a culture them. they established. They brought a culture, and they didn't realize it. And, and that's, that's great. That was, that was a time, but we're at this place where we can see, you know what, the gospel, we, we can't add junk to the gospel, right? We don't want to carry along because all of us have things that we bring along with the gospel. And a, and a missionary now, what are they trying to think? Okay, how do we bring the pure, true gospel to a people group free of the constraints of Western civilization and our Western way of thinking and bring the true gospel, Okay. That's, that's the goal of a missionary. That should be our goal as well, okay? But what can happen the same way is when you talk about we as a church, you know, if we look around this room, we aren't all white, but that is the predominant culture, okay? And this church predominantly there. Well, if there are people walking in these doors, they aren't just experiencing Christianity. They are experiencing Christianity through the lens of a predominantly white church. You understand what I'm saying? In Burnsville, Minnesota. In Burnsville, Minnesota. <laughs> Exactly. That's part of the context. That's yeah. part of the context. That's what they're experiencing. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I can't change the fact that I'm a white guy, okay? I don't get that choice. But what we can change is how do we care for people and how do we extend and how do we build an environment around here that is inviting and is comfortable and open-handed to every culture, even if they don't look or think or were raised the same way we were raised, right? Mm-hmm. And it's talking about the being welcoming to a group of people or to an individual that comes in. The better we as a church understand what makes us unique to us and what makes us different than churches down the street or from somewhere else in the country, the easier it is to welcome somebody into that environment. And to say, here's typically things that we do, or um, here's, here's how we do things. A simple explanation of why we stand when we read the Bible is a simple explanation of a culture for, for our church. Right? It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a great specific example of that. And the more often that we're intentional of the way we think about how welcoming we are and what our culture is, we can go from always responding in a way that is, is, is healthy for an interaction for somebody else to being proactive, right? Instead of being reactive, we can be proactive and plan for that. Um, when we have that mentality, this, the uh, decisions that we make of how we funnel new people from, if we're going from here to somewhere else, we just have a better opportunity to be proactive and plan for how we can have those positive interactions. Yeah, yeah. Because my, my heart and our heart as a church is that we would reach this community. And I know sometimes people say, well, like, well, is the goal just to be a diverse church. No, the goal is to reach our community. And our church and our community is growing more and more diverse. So yeah, we should look more diverse. We should look like our community. Uh, that's, that's my hope, that's my prayer. And my prayer is that we would look more and more like Revelation chapter seven. Again, the goal isn't to, to because this is some modern thing that looks cool. No, it's the goal is that we would look like heaven. And here's the other reason. Remember, what, remember when Jesus said, what are they going to know you by? Your love for one another. So if the world is going to see and recognize the greatest testimony that we can give to the world around us, the greatest witness that we can have is not stepping before and, and preaching some message out there or, or you know, doing some campaign out, an ad campaign about Jesus. No, the best testimony that we can have is a group of people in here that look like our community and yet love each other and yet care for one another and sacrifice for one another, right? That's the goal. 
who will have a different response in the way Martin Luther King did, where when the, we encounter something that we're not expecting, our response to it or the way we respond is in a way that's radical or different from the world, but is aligned with Jesus and the kingdom. Exactly. And to be able to do that, you know, it's going to take us stepping outside. You know, we talked about the, the picture around Revelation was all these people humbly submitted before the throne. I think that's what it takes for every single one of us, that we get to a position where we are humbly submitting our, our needs, we're humbly submitting our desires, because we all got, it's okay to have desires, right? I like things the way I like them, okay? Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> there ain't nothing wrong with that, okay? Neat. You like things the way you like them, right? But the question is, what's more important? You getting things done the way you want them done, or people who don't know Christ? And for me, and for us as a church, my prayer is that we would say, you know what, our greatest passion is that we would, we would operate and function in a way that cares for those who are far from God, even if it means that on occasion it's going to st step us outside of our comfort zone. It's going to force us to, to step beyond ourselves for a moment, okay? So as, as we wrap up here, just, just a few moments more, um, I do want to close with something, and I question whether I, I, I go here, but I just think, I think I'm going to go here just for a moment. Okay, Because if we're going to talk about Martin Luther King, obviously he was specifically dealing with an issue of racism, right? And inequality that existed. All right. Many of us, I, I look across this room, I don't look at anybody and say, man, we got a bunch of racists in this room. I would never say that. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think anybody in here would call themselves a racist. I don't think anybody here would act like an overt racist. Not, I don't get that, okay? If you are a true racist, you don't work well in our world. <laughs> It's just reality, okay? But I will say this. Many of us were raised with influences that might be considered racist. I know on occasion I would hear some things from some of my older generation family members that, that were like, I'd be like, Eef, uh, that didn't sound right. <laughs> that wasn't good. And some of you, maybe you had that grandpa, you had that grandma who maybe spoke in a certain way or had a viewpoint that might have spoken into your life, okay? We get that. It's possible that you still have some people in your life that, that maybe influence you that way. The, the residual effect of that is that on occasion, we can still maintain, we may not act a certain way, we may not speak a certain way, but we can hold on to some subtle attitudes towards a certain people group or towards a, di you know, a, a different nationality or a different background, okay? We wouldn't be overt about it, we wouldn't necessarily talk about it, but we we see a certain type of person and we say, oh, that's how they are. We would never say it out loud, okay? But you think it, okay? Now, as JD would say, there's nothing wrong with, you know, see. There's nothing wrong with having an assumption about someone that you don't know, right? The only time that having an assumption or operating out of assumptions becomes harmful is when you operate out of the assumption that what you are assuming is automatically true, right? If you're not willing to explore that assumption and say, just, hey, I, I don't know, and so I'm assuming that this is true, right? If you just operate as for sure, I know they're going to respond this way, or they're not going to like that. They'll like this one. If you just operate like that's automatic truth, that's when you bump into saying something to somebody or uh, have an interaction with somebody where it's off-putting because they can tell they're, you're assuming things about them, but there's nothing wrong with just saying, hey, I'm only assuming this because I don't know, or coming back after realizing, you know what, I did that because I just assumed and I could tell that didn't land well. 
I didn't even think about it. And you can go back, hey, I apologize. I was assuming, but then you can move forward from there, okay. right? It's not about having perfect interactions or never saying something wrong or saying something that's offensive. It's not about scrubbing clean everything you say of stuff that is that might be potentially upsetting to somebody else. It's just understanding that you will have a lens and when you encounter somebody or have a, have a, a uh, interaction with someone that doesn't go the way you planned, now you have a way of coming back to it, not placing the, the judgment on yourself of it, but just recognizing I'm a normal human that has to operate out of assumptions, and so I'm going to go back either apologize or explore that or just try and figure that out so it fits with reality yeah. more. So the reason, I, the reason I want to say this is because I think uh, because some residual effect can still in, infest us a little bit, infect us a little bit, I think it's important as followers of Christ that we have the same attitude that we see in Psalms. You know, in Psalm, I think in Psalm 139, David says he comes, he comes before God, he says, Search my heart. God, would you search my heart? Would you see if there's any wicked way in me? Would you reveal that to me? Because I don't know about you, I'd, I want to be someone who truly loves like Jesus called us to love, who cares for people, and I know, I know that I don't do that perfectly. I know that there are times where I still view a person or I can view a people group incorrectly, inaccurately, and, and I can do it in a way because I still am tarnished a little bit. And my prayer for us as a church isn't that we say, hey, we're going to be perfect people. We're going to just love everyone perfectly. No, that's not the goal. But the goal is that we would be on a journey as a church, yeah. that we would be journey as individuals saying, God, could you just reveal that to me? Would you, would you show me where I'm, I'm not right yet, where I'm not loving accurately, where I'm, I'm not caring for people the way you're calling me to? Would you show that to me so that I can have my heart clean and I can change? Because I want to, I mean, know what is repentance? It's turning. It's this idea of turning away. God, I want to repent of those things, those attitudes that maybe at times I carry so that I can be an extension of your kingdom here on earth. Yeah. I want to talk more about the part that you were mentioning of uh, you may grow up with a perspective or, or, or a learning where you can hear it when someone else says it, right, of like, ooh, I don't quite agree with that. Right? And I think we all, most people in growing up in Minnesota, I think the biggest thing that I want to try and flesh out, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to get to the point, um, but I don't feel like I encounter people most often when they're intentionally being racist or biased, right? I think it's much more common to be blind to it as opposed to doing it intentionally, yep. right? And so something that I hear in Minnesota all the time is like when it comes to culture that highlights just being blind to what makes you who you are is I hear people will say, oh, I don't have a culture, I'm Minnesotan, right? I don't have a culture, I'm, I'm white or Minnesotan, right? From the chuckles, like you guys have heard that too, right? Or maybe even, maybe even said it yourself. And it's the same thing of the, the two fish and the big fish story. It's, it's just that you're not recognizing or it's hard to tell what, what makes you used to the culture that you have. And so that's the statement that comes out of I don't have a culture a lot of times is, well, I treat everybody the same. I treat, I treat everybody the same. I don't see color or race. And what you end up saying is you're trying to say I value everybody the same. I respect everybody the same. But then your actions in trying to treat everyone the same would be like saying, yeah, I, I love my wife, but I treat all women the same. <laughs> Bad decision. Bad, that's not a good choice. Um, and so it, it's obvious in a marriage context that you would treat someone relationally different from one person to the next, yeah. but we tend to not know what that looks like when we're saying we're going to treat someone differently according to their race and their perspective and their culture. 
Because right? if you treat everybody the same, you're treating some appropriately and therefore treating some inappropriately. Yeah. Uh, and so that's just an example of how things can perpetuate the way that they have is because it happens not always through intentional actions, but it happens a lot of times through unintentional actions where we just don't have a better way of doing it, right? Missionaries throughout history didn't have the context of my culture and the way I do things is unique to me and that is separate from the gospel. Therefore, I want to be careful of uh, delivering the gospel separate from what I deem as important. If they would have had that language and that playbook to operate out of, they would have done stuff differently. Yep. Just like for us, if we have the language to know and understand and how to explore these things about us, now we have a playbook moving forward so that we can become people who better understand ourselves, who have a better toolbox or toolkit that allows us to interact with people that are different than us. That's great. It's great. We're going to wrap this up here in just a moment. I just want to I want to get here, uh, I want to get to our challenge here in a moment, but I want to say this because this extends beyond just a race thing. I think this extends to socioeconomic. That actually is one of the, a big barrier for us is sometimes people who don't have the amount of income that we have, we have a hard time. We, we can treat people who make more money or less money than us differently. And it becomes a barrier to us at times it, because it's uncomfortable. It's possibly uncomfortable, right? Another one is politically. How many know that can be an issue? Okay, where there, there's a barrier there, all right? And it's getting thicker and thicker, it feels like, you know? Uh, it can also be a personality. There are certain personality types that you have a hard time connecting with and you feel this disconnect from, right? The same thing can happen. Be, I watch this happen between introverts and extroverts. I watch introverts get, get arrogant toward extroverts because those extroverts don't know what they're talking about. And the extroverts are like, look at those stupid introverts. They quietly sit in the corner by themselves, you know? They have these different opinions. It can be this division. And so the question, the challenge for every one of us that we want to get to is something, how do we, how do we get beyond that? You want to share the, the challenge here? Yeah. Um, the overall challenge? Yeah. I'll share, I'll share it. I wrote it, so we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll write it here. I think that one part's yours. So here's the challenge that we want to give everyone. Here's a practical step, because it's a great, nice little conversation, Greg. Super cool. Way to go, JD. You're nice. Uh, but what are we going to do here? Okay, here's the challenge. This week, I want you to decide what taking a step outside of your comfort zone looks like. That's the first step. Decide what taking a step outside of your comfort zone looks like. What that Whether, looks like for you. For you, Outside of your comfort zone of race, maybe it is socioeconomic, maybe it is political, maybe it is one of these other things. There is, and the second part is this, then do it, okay? <laughs> Figure out what's going outside of your comfort zone, then do it. And I might say, try it, because <laughs> you, might, you might not feel like you succeed, but it's worth a try. This is something worth leaning into a little bit. Yeah. Talk to us what that might look like. And so it's... I would like that to be something that's a little bit different than just the obvious one of like go to a different restaurant this week or, or see a different movie. Because um, we, did, we did have that list, right? And I would like that to be a, like a real world step of maybe having, uh, having a lunch date or a coffee with someone that you typically avoid or typically don't talk about. Maybe you've had some difficult conversations with somebody and now it's leaning into maybe trying to explore that person's perspectives and backgrounds after we had this conversation of trying to learn them a little bit more. Another really practical one that's really 2020 is uh, if you're on social media at all, then most likely you, what you're seeing, what you see or what you're fed regularly is just from one perspective. 
right? Because it's an algorithm that gives you what you interact with regularly. So a good way to get outside of your normal interactions is to follow or go to someone that you follow that you like what they say, you like what they post on a topic, whether it's religion or, uh, or politics or whatever it is. When they have something where they're, they're commenting or posting about something they believe in, go within the comments and find someone who's trying to oppose them, right? Or someone who's saying, no, I don't believe, or was arguing a different point. Pick someone who sounds rational, not, not just someone who is there in all caps and is, is angry. Um, but in there, you can find people who are saying, you know what, I disagree because, and they have some good points. Click on that person's comment and see what other people have to add to the conversation. See um, who they follow. Right? It's a good way to start navigating through to hear different perspectives. Then the stuff that you get on a regular basis becomes more balanced because you have a way of seeking out other perspectives. And that happens in our real life as well. Again, when you carry that into real conversations of people that you interact with, the things that you see, the things that you hear, your lens starts to get shaped a little bit differently. Um, but that's a really good way in 2020 of, of, as digital citizens, a way that we can try and interact with, uh, with people or with, with content that's a little bit different than what we're used to. Yeah, and the goal isn't like, let's all change what we believe. The goal is, right. can we see the world through another lens? Can we not be so arrogant to think that we've got all the answers and we know exactly how we're saying and be able to see how, because as we see broader, we're going to be able to love deeper. And that's our call. That's as followers of Christ, can we love people deeply? And here's the, here's the closing thought is this, is that we're just simply called to do what Jesus did. Because what what's the essence of the gospel? The gospel isn't God in heaven saying, hey, get up here. The essence of the gospel is God saying, I'll come down and meet you where you are. And if we're going to be followers of Christ who care for people, we have to say, okay, you don't have to, you don't have to do life like I think it should be done or solve every problem the way I think they should be solved. I'm willing to meet you where you're at. I'm willing to humble myself enough like Christ did to lay myself down and say, I'll meet you where you are. And maybe I need to help lead you to a better place, but I'm going to meet you where you are. Whole story just makes me think about uh, interacting with my wife. As he's talked about interacting, if you if you're if you're married, it's there are times. I don't know if you ever have this, but there's times where me and Amber don't agree on things. Um, we don't always we don't always see the world the same way, and so if I, it's very easy as as men for us to be stubborn and say, well, just I can't believe you don't see this. But if I'm going to love my wife, what do I need to do? I need to stop and think about it from her perspective. And as I do that, suddenly I have a broader view. And I can do that because I love her. All we're calling the church is to say, if we're going to be a church that says we love this community and we care for this community, we care for people that don't look like us and don't think like us, then we can love them deep enough to stop for a moment and to learn what they, how they see the world. Learn, learn the lens with which they see the world. And as doing that, we will be able to better meet them, to better love them, and to better build the kingdom of God like he's called us to do. Amen?